following is a presentation of Cornerstone Bible Church in Virginia Beach. For more information on Cornerstone, as well as additional sermon downloads, please visit cbcvirginia.com. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 6, 19 and 21. Not necessarily a famous Christmas text, but uh, the one we'll use for today as we approach the season. Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Let's read and then we'll pray. Verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's pray. Lord God, as your people, we join our hearts together in prayer sharing the words together as we worship you in song, in prayer. And now as we sit in front of your word, we trust you to do what you do, and we ask you, interceding, asking that you would lead us today. Give us hearts to receive your word with joy. Would you give us this day our daily bread in food and resources and daily needs, in wisdom and strength and discernment, in grace and mercy and faith, Lord, to walk according to the truth. Give us what we need today, God. We depend on you. Would you cause our hearts really to mean it and pursue it when we say, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We ask for you to grow us so that we would live like true citizens of the kingdom of God. Help us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I grew up in a a wonderful Christian home. Um, We didn't have much, but like most people, we celebrated birthdays and holidays, and of course, most importantly, Christmas. Um, We were far from wealthy, but uh, my mom still made special days special. It was a good time. Um, Birthdays, of course, there'd be a cake, uh, there'd be a present, and usually a special meal of some sort. At Easter, there'd be baskets and eggs and chocolates and a special meal of some sort. Uh, and then, of course, at Christmas time, there would be all kinds of special stuff, at least in my thinking. Um, there was always certain music, what I mean by that, records and tapes that didn't get pulled out until after Thanksgiving was over. Christmas music, right? I can remember as a kid sitting in this tall stair that my parents had and replacing records or getting the next Burl Ives you know, tape in and listening to the next one. Uh, That wasn't allowed to happen, at least in our house, until after Thanksgiving was over. Um, Other things, I can remember one year, uh, we got off the school bus, and my mom invited um, all the kids that were kind of our neighbors to come over to our house and uh, come into our kitchen. She had made all these big uh, gingerbread men and women, and she she was equality right back in then. Uh, Then we would bring out the icing and the sprinkles, and we would all decorate them together. Very special, had a great time. I can remember, usually on December 1st, she would bring out a, it was like a big poster-sized um, advent calendar of cloth. And what it had on there was little snaps, and you had to move a little bear around each day. And that was really special. We'd put it on the, the stairway down to, to the basement, and then we would always go there each day and change it up. Uh, I can remember the week leading up to Christmas, uh, going to bed at very normal times, regular, but I remember my mom coming in and getting us up at like 8 o'clock to go downstairs and watch a Christmas special. You know, it was like, 
the claymation version of Rudolph or maybe Frosted Snowman or something like that, right? But if you remember back in these days, like we had three channels and like that was the only time those things came on. So this was very special that we got to get out of bed and go see this thing and do it together. That was the same time, time period, if you remember this, like Christmas Eve, there was always on these three channels either like um, a Christmas Carol or like It's a Wonderful Life. And the next day, I don't know why, but The Sound of Music was on on Christmas Day. Like that was the time period we were talking about. It was, all that stuff was kind of special because it was withheld the rest of the year. And then you get to that time and you're like, oh, this is really cool. We really enjoy this and kind of something out of the ordinary. I can remember my mom would, she had all these uh, electric candles. Do you know what I'm talking about? They would put them in the, in the windows and she would, because they'd always fall off because they weren't balanced right. We'd always tape them to the windows. Um, and, and then like cut different spruce and fir and pine boughs and kind of decorate the house. There's a, a lot of special stuff during this time. And of course, Christmas morning was filled with delicious smells of a properly cooked breakfast, eggs and ham and bacon and sausage. My dad got grapefruit that morning and uh, always cinnamon rolls. So it's a big deal. It was, a, it was a great start to the day. I mean, Christmas time was great. I really enjoyed every bit of it, all the lead up and of course the day. But in the midst of that, my parents also made sure that we understood, just as Matt has made, made clear for us, that Christ was at the center. There's a reason it's called Christmas, Christ's day. It was a remembrance of that Jesus Christ had come for the sake of the world and to save. And that was a regular part. We, we did with Christmas carols and in, uh, in our family devotions. We would always read the Christmas story, sit down and read Luke 2. And my dad would pray through a couple different things before we'd open our gifts. Um, I can remember going to some old folks' homes and working with some of the nursing homes and folks that just didn't have very much and they didn't have family to go. And um, my mom and dad wanted to go and just be a part and serve them and sing some stuff to them and be a part. So I understood growing up that Christmas was not about all the frills and all the presents and all the, you know, the really, really super fun stuff. Um, and yet, even though that was true, I had Christian parents, godly ones, I still loved all the stuff that Christmas had to offer as a child. It was so fun. Christmas meant special. It meant something that was set apart different than the rest of the days. Um, we couldn't quite like understand exactly what it was, but we knew that it was something that we didn't have the other 11 months of the year, and then in December it was something special. Um, I can remember, though, that you'd almost like, this is not true, but you'd kind of like almost suspend the troubles that you were having for that month and just kind of enjoy the Christmas season. Um, I remember, though, when I was eight years old, m my youngest sister was born, Sarah, and uh, that was wonderful. And a full year went by, and after a year old, she got uh, really sick, uh, some kind of respiratory thing. We didn't know what it was, and it kept getting worse and worse and worse. And... By the time December rolled around, the doctor said, oh, she's in really bad shape. She's got severe pneumonia. We need to put her in the hospital. So the, the nearest good hospital was about an hour away. And so she was placed in there. And then my mom would stay with her full time. So this happened like, I don't know, like beginning, middle of December. So you can imagine then that what my household was like with my mom gone and my dad trying to still work full-time as a pastor, still work with several of the people in the community, still keep the house up, still feed the kids, and try to actually go visit my sister and my mom regularly. I didn't realize it until later. We've talked about it before, afterwards now. And that was one of the most difficult times uh, for them, both as a couple and then just like trying to keep their head above water. Um, but I remember that that was the year that my Christmas bubble popped. Like, it was terrible. 
I mean, there was no like special staying up late. There was no like, well, I still use the records, but all the other special things that I always associate with all the Christmas stuff and cheer and brightness uh, was totally overshadowed by what was going on. It wasn't happening. I remember as a kid, even being nine years old, that was the one that I experienced true sadness to the point of I would cry because I realized that it wasn't right. It was like, this is not the way Christmas is supposed to be. Like, I know this isn't the way. I mean, little did I know it was so difficult for them, but all I can selfishly remember is that my magical view of what Christmas was supposed to be like was completely shattered. I, I finally realized that Christmas didn't mean that everything was automatically merry and bright. Um... There was no staying up late, like I said. No special breakfast. My dad did not know how to make cinnamon rolls for sure. Um, the Christmas presents, I'm pretty sure, were pretty slim that year with all the stuff going on. Uh, and I can remember, I grew up in Ontario, Canada. And the 25th of December, there was no snow. I was devastated. You know, like all that Christmas stuff, like doesn't everyone know it snows on Christmas? Uh, we were totally, totally devastated. Uh, my mom wasn't there to make things special, and although my dad was loving and kind and generous, it just wasn't the same without my mom there and my baby sister. That was the year, again, that I say that it, it popped for me. The, 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 the joy bubble of Christmas being so, so special was gone. And I thought, again, that Jesus had come, obviously, on December 25th, and he came to give one incredible month of merriment and joy and, of course, spiritual good, and that we were supposed to enjoy these things and that everything was going to be all right. Peace on earth, goodwill to all of us for a whole month, right? That we just kind of believe that, and it's a great month. Um, and I was left disappointed, really disappointed, um, sad, lonely even, uh, and without many of the things that I thought were so important to what Christmas was supposed to be like. It's possible that some of you haven't had a Christmas like this yet, but I'm guessing for the majority of the, uh, the adults in here, you've had something like this happen in your life, if not far worse, and you recognize that it's not so much as we thought, especially as young children, as it was all cracked up to be. Perhaps it's worse, like for some of you, Christmas is dominated by being super busy, busy at home, busy in the neighborhood, super busy at work, and it's certainly not merry and bright in the workplace. For some of you, it's a stressful time, making uh, all these special things for your kids and the neighbors with extra house guests in and family, with all the decorations and the hype and the lights and the special meals, with all the travel and activities. I mean, it's stressful. There's a lot going on. For some of you, um, your husbands will be away on deployment. And it will be very much that we're singing I'll Be Home for Christmas and realizing that this will not happen. And we're very sad in many ways that we want this thing to happen. We're all supposed to be together, and it's not true. For some of you, it's, um, it's a time of extreme loneliness. With so many different things flooding over, it's a time that reminds you of the loss of perhaps a spouse, whether it's to divorce or death or something else, or the loneliness of losing a family member to death or friends, or the loneliness of not having, even having a spouse or a date at all, and wondering why everyone else seems to have these good things and I don't. Christmas can be a brutal reminder for some of us of our own loneliness. For some of you, you're left with broken and unfulfilled expectations, and you're just jaded. You're just totally exhausted of the season. Life continues just like it was before, whether it's December or not. Um, your kids still rebel. There's still deadlines at work. Stuff still breaks on your car and in the house. And you're exhausted of everyone making Christmas time bigger than it actually is. 
For some of you, Christmas is a time to look around, like I said before, and wish that you had someone else's life. Wish that you could have their Christmas, not the one that you experience. Your life seems to stink compared to so many other people who have it all together and have this wonderful life. And obviously this leads to true depression, anxiety, frustration with the world around you. And some of you are still dealing with haunting memories of past sin and regret. And this time period does not help at all, but rather reminds you of some of those things. Again, it's possible, and I'm not trying to be a Christmas Grinch whatsoever, I just recognize that each person in here has a different story. And at some time, we'll eventually understand that all these things that the world puts out as the wonder of Christmas time will not pan out. And instead, the real life stuff that comes at us daily will continue to come even through the Christmas season. Uh, I titled my sermon today, here we go, How to Not Have a Disappointing Christmas. I kind of said how to have a good Christmas, but instead, I want to make a point here. How to not have a disappointing Christmas. Because I think many of us, whether we know it or we thought about it or not, we are regularly disappointed by things like Christmas in our life. And we ask of it very much, and we're, our, our expectations are destroyed. I can't make everything merry and bright for you today. I can't. Um, but I can point us in the right direction so that we will understand what we are to expect in these next coming days and weeks. Why is it, then, that the most wonderful time of the year uh, seems to be one of those that have some of the deepest hurts for people, some of the deepest regrets and disappointments? I think the answer is actually pretty simple. We are looking for things that were never promised to us. Let me say that again. We are looking for things, looking for things that were never promised to us. Let me sharpen it a little bit more. We are looking and settling for lesser glories than we actually have been promised. We're looking for the temporary joy and peace and cheer that comes from an only earthly Christmas celebration. We're looking for treasures on earth. Now, the world kind of gets this, right? They understand that it's not all about the, all the different trappings and everything. Uh, they know that it's not all about the presents and the frills. Consider the words of a famous Dr. Seuss um, in The Grinch Who Stole Christmas. After the Grinch goes up there, and he steals all the Christmas stuff, and he goes to the pinnacle, that huge mountain, is ready to push all the stuff off that means Christmas. He hears the sound of the who's singing, and he's amazed that Christmas still came somehow. And he says this, it came without ribbons, it came without tags, without packages, boxes, and bags. Maybe it doesn't come from a store. Maybe it means a little bit more. The song then cheers us with these words, Christmas Day is in our grasp so long as we have hands to clasp. Christmas Day will always be just as long as we have we. I mean, that, it's, it's not all about the food and the trimmings and the roast beast and all the different things that are go along with Christmas time. They understand it. It's about heart to heart, hand in hand, the messages of love for one another, this community love, this family love uh, that overcomes everything else. On that one day, Christmas has come and it's righted all wrongs. Well, what about one of my favorite all-time movies, all-time favorite movies, It's a Wonderful Life. By the end, George Bailey stands on that bridge and realizes the gift that he's been given. And you can hear him, I want to live again, I want to live again. Please, God, let me live again. I'm not very good at Jimmy Stewart, but he's awesome. Um, there were so many good messages, though, in that movie 
that actually get so close to being right that life is so precious and that we often don't recognize what we have or appreciate all that we've been given. That each man's life touches so many others. And he recognizes that by getting this experience of seeing what his life would have been like without him there. Or as Clarence the angel writes, remember, no man is a failure who has friends. Yeah, the, the world gets that Christmas is not just about the presents or all the stuff or all the, the, the merriment that goes around it. Uh, they recognize that Christmas hype can be empty. But even in this realization, the message that we get from the Grinch Stole Christmas, although it's wonderful, and the message we get even from It's a Wonderful Life, they still come up short of the ultimate reality. Even these things, love for everyone that seems to conquer all, or general thankfulness, or the immense value of human relationships, these are all lesser glories. They're all less than what we find in the true God of Christmas. Again, these things cannot measure up. And don't get me wrong, they are good things. They're wonderful things. But all of them will corrupt and change and eventually disappear if they're not rooted in the God of Christmas. Now, some of you still aren't quite tracking with me, so let me instead go to the Scriptures and spell out the truth that Jesus gives us here in Matthew 6. Let's read verse 19 through 21 again. Matthew 6, 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, when we first read this passage, we immediately understand that we shouldn't be stockpiling all of our treasures here on earth. We get it. It doesn't matter if you're the richest billionaire, you can't take it with you. We understand that in the big picture, the game of life, money, cars, gold, and really anything else of material wealth won't last. We get that pretty simply here. Cars break down, money loses its value, gold is just an element on the periodic table, and all these things can easily be stolen away from us if not by another person, by time itself and death. Our retirement accounts can fluctuate up and down very easily. Some of you know that quite well, and you understand that at the turn of the market, it can plummet. Our houses degenerate. Our properties lose their value for any number of reasons. Anything of value here on this earth is subject to corruption and loss. And we understand as Christians that it is far wiser to invest our time and our energy and our money into the kingdom of heaven. And as a concept, this makes total sense to us. Invest in the eternal, the things that please the Lord. Um, but let's just ask the question, what exactly does that mean for us? I mean, again, we get it as a concept, but I, I think it's important for us in the side trail to ask the question, what types of money exchanges work for the kingdom of heaven? Like, as far as I know, there's not a place you can go and put money in stacks and it goes up into the clouds into heaven and now it's turned into eternal rewards. Now, it's kind of, I'm not trying to be silly here, but do you understand what I mean? The exchange, like, how does that work? What does it mean to lay up or store up treasures in heaven? I guess, of course, we could give our money to the church or to CPC or to Union Mission or missionaries. There are any number of wonderful things that we can give our money to. And yes, absolutely, we should do this. That's right. We can give our money to the furtherance of the kingdom by giving the money away to other people. And we should do this. But Jesus is after something far more important. 
far bigger than just your money. Remember Matthew 22. He comes and, and the Pharisees send their minions to talk to him. And they, they ask him this question, tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? What they're saying is, obviously, we should be giving all our money to God, right? Right, Jesus? And this is what Jesus says. But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And Jesus said to them, whose likeness? Oh, sorry, they, and they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Pay your taxes. But he doesn't stop there. I love this. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. What has God's likeness, his inscription, his image stamped on it? Is it not? Of course, it's creation. It, it declares his name, but are we not human beings made in the image of God? In other words, he's making it very clear. You ought to give all of yourself, not just this little money, everything. Give to God what is God's. Yeah, human beings, the ones actually made in his image. Jesus' point is that, yes, you can give Caesar his money, and you should give God the money as well, but he's after far more than the money. He wants all of you, your whole being, the one that you are stamped in his image, all of that belongs to him. He wants your whole life, every part, your ambitions, your family, your total allegiance, your calendar and your priorities, every stitch of talent that he has given to you, every part of your desires and heart, the longings that you have, he wants it all and it's his. And this is why Jesus sums up the statement in Matthew 6, our text today, by saying, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Heart is shorthand for the very core of your being, who you and I really are. That's what he is saying here. He's showing us that anything that, you're, that you treasure reveals your very heart. What you treasure reveals what is most important to you at your core. And therefore, it reveals who you and I actually are. He's not talking only about physical treasures, presents, money, stuff. As though if you give that to God, you're good. As long as I write my check to God each week, give it to the church, I'm good. I mean, that's exactly the problem with the Pharisees here. They were more than willing to give some of their money, a lot of their money to, to God. So for, for his furtherance of his things, that's what they were wanting to do. They didn't want to give the rest of their lives. And he makes a point right back to them and says, no, give all, every single bit. You are stamped to the image of God and it is all his. But they were not willing to give themselves. This is about the very core of your being and how it is satisfied. So what, what, what is it that you value? What is the most important thing in your life? What are you willing to live for? He's not just talking about giving your money and stuff to God, although he certainly is. That's certainly part of this. He even making this point that it's a really good indicator of what's actually going on in your heart. He's talking about any and all, though, of the things that you consider valuable and precious, not just your bank account. So what type of exchange are we talking about here? Let's go back to that question, right? What kind of things do we store up as treasures in heaven? If we limit our definition to money or physical things and blessings, we just haven't gone far enough. 
Yes, let's give those things, but the Lord desires all of us. But how do we get there? Like, how do we store up those things in heaven then? To get to the right answer, I'd ask you this. What is the most infinitely valuable thing in the universe? What is more valuable than anything else? And do you believe it? The obvious answer for the Christian is Christ, right? We get that, but that doesn't mean that it's necessarily the true answer for you and me. And yet, this is why Jesus gives us this lesson here to remind us of this very thing. We often slip back and forth between valuing Christ and his kingdom and the kingdom of heaven and worldly joy and pleasure and the treasures on earth. Understanding Jesus' teaching here then will help us a great deal when we consider this question, I'm coming all the way back around now, when we consider this question, how to not have a disappointing Christmas. The Christmas season can easily flash before us so many wonderful things, a whole host of different things that seem to bring us great pleasure and joy and comfort in this time. Things that glitter and shine or things that are a little more familial and wonderful and nostalgic. But based on the principle we just saw here in Matthew 6, I'd like to offer you some warnings, some things, especially as we go through the season, that you ought to be thinking about. They won't come as any surprise to you, but as we've considered now what Matthew 6, 19 through 21 says, it will help us think through these things rightly. So I've got five earthly treasures that I want to warn you about. Number one, and this will come as no surprise, beware of treasuring material things. This is an easy one. We already know this one, right? This is like basic. Materialism. Beware of the idolatry of stuff or of, of money, of that stuff which seems to be so answerable. It's right there in front of you. Obviously, we can see this with crystal clarity in our children, right? You watch them. They, this gift is so awesome. They want all the toys. They, want, they love the money that they're given. They love getting the most gifts. They want all the stuff that comes along with a great Christmas party, good food, awesome gifts and games, special costumes, uh, a great gift exchange with friends at the end. And when they don't get it, I don't know if you've experienced this or not, the disappointment is palpable when you watch a child not get what they thought they were going to get or not have the time that they really, really wanted. It was so important to them. You know they wanted more and more and more, and they wanted the other gift, and they aren't satisfied with the things that they have. But we aren't really much different. We're just better. We're much better at showing that not that disappointed face, right? It may not be the same things, but it's still just as real for us. I and mean, let's be honest. We're all hoping that one day it would be really nice for our spouse to drive into that driveway with that big ribbon on top of the car, Right? Like, I mean, not that I really want it, but that would be pretty awesome. You know, like, we understand that, that, like, I do kind of like black Italian leather in my car. That'd be really nice. It smells so good. Um, or maybe it's something else. Maybe it's like a different coat that you really want, and you're hoping that your husband gets it for you because you know you can't afford it with your regular budget, but maybe for Christmas he'll spend on that, and it'll be awesome. Or whatever the thing is, our hearts, and men, don't think you can get off so easily. I mean, there's a lot of good man toys out there that we all kind of want in our shed as well. Things that can bring us that joy as well. But be careful of what you love. Beware of treasuring these material things more than Jesus Christ. That's, a, that's, a, that's an easy one. You guys know that one. Number two, beware of treasuring acceptance. I'll explain. 
uh, especially in this digital world that we live in, it's made it an absolute minefield for those who struggle with performing before others with the constant desire to be liked and accepted by all. I mean, you have to make sure you get the kids' outfits all right. You have to make sure you kind of decorate the table real quaintly. Not too much, just enough to like get a really good, and then you get a good picture, the right lighting, and make sure you can post that thing so you can have, make sure everyone sees that you got your stuff together. And you look good, and you're like, oh man, that looks so merry and bright and quaint, and there's an awesome family. So you get the likes and the, and the repins and all, all the rest of that junk out there. So for, forget the pressure, though, of like my parents... I remember my mom looking through Better Home and Garden magazine and be like, oh man, this is beautiful and this, and measuring up to that. Now it's like bombarding us all the time with Pinterest and Instagram and whatever else that I probably don't know anything about. Like these things constantly come at us though and show us other people how great their life is. And we want to do the same thing. We want the likes, we want the hearts, we want all the things that say what you've done is good. We accept you for what you've done here. And a properly posed picture can make for a really, really good idol. It's a reminder that, yeah, I can do life well. People can notice it. I got my stuff together. I mean, people really think I'm, I'm, I'm something. I'm, I'm, I'm that type of person that people want to be like. And, I, you know, I, I can accept this person by clicking a button there and saying, this looks cool. Um, we can easily become slaves to acceptance and our performance becomes very important to us to make sure we reach this and that everyone thinks about us the right way. If we don't perform, well, what may happen? Even if you aren't worried about these types of things, kind of like me, the, the other thing that's constantly there is our own expectations of ourselves and what we thought our life ought to look like. In a sense, we, don't, we, we can't live up to those either. Be careful this season, friends, brothers and sisters, don't treasure the applause or the thumbs up of man. These will, of course, fade. This is a lesser glory that probably faster than anyone else, as soon as you post another picture that's not as good, you get a thumbs down. This stuff will fade. It is not worth living for. So that's number two. Number three, beware of treasuring the feel of the season. Now, I'll explain what I mean here. It's, it's some would call this like romanticism, like the idea, not like romantic between a boy and a girl, although that may be part of it. I'm talking about all that is Christmas, the way it makes you feel, the nostalgia, the whole feeling, the ambiance. I'm talking about when you walk down that cobblestone street with the snow lightly falling, and you can hear the music in the background, and you can smell the delicious baked goods wafting onto the street from all these quaint little shops. I mean, everything is beautiful. You guys know what I'm talking about here. And you have that feeling. It's, like, it's the exact feeling you want to get from a Hallmark movie at Christmas time. It gives you all the right feels. You totally understand. That's not calling you out. Don't worry. Um, it helps you understand and feel a certain way about this whole thing. And the truth is we all love that. We all want to feel a certain way. We all like the nostalgia. We all like to feel like this. And yet, I think we ought to be very careful uh, about how we pursue something like this. You guys know this. Feelings are fleeting. They're here one day and gone the next. You can feel absolutely wonderful, but then you can also know as soon as these things show themselves to what they are, false idols, they're promising cheer and joy, and they fall to pieces. The lights fade, the snow melts, the dreariness sets in, and the feeling seems to totally go away. And then we're looking for another one of those things to help us feel a certain way. 
all the time never being able to actually give us sustaining joy. Be careful, friends, not to treasure the feel of the season. It will fade, and it will eventually disappoint. Number four, beware of treasuring traditions. Traditions are a huge part of every Christmas celebration. Obviously, even here, the fact we're meeting together is a tradition that we did from our Lord. This is a good thing for us to do. We love to do these things, and and especially at Christmas time, so many different Christmas traditions that we have. They bring us and give us a feeling of being grounded, right? They, They make us feel like what we're doing means something and that it matters, it has significance. Um, but I can so easily hear this happened. I remember um, adults coming to the point of anger and tears because their traditions were not performed properly or they didn't get to do the things that they wanted to do at Christmas time. It's just not Christmas without fill in the blank. Uh, there's probably different ones in this whole room. You have different things that you do every Christmas. It's just not Christmas without these things. Many of these traditions are so good and they've been given us as good gifts, but They've lost their meaningfulness and beware that we don't allow those things to happen over and over again because we just do them. And almost like we become slaves. No, we've got to do this. Every Christmas we do this and we do this and then we do this and we become a slave to that very thing. Be careful not to treasure traditions for the sake of traditions. They will not ultimately satisfy you. And lastly, number five, beware of treasuring the family. Chris, you really going to go there? Yeah, we really need to go there. Of all the things that we as Christians idolize, this is the one we're the most okay with. We think it's okay for us to actually worship around this throne called family unity and making sure this is the thing that makes us good and keeps us in together. I'm not saying in any way that it is wrong for us to be a family. This is a God-given institution and wonderful. I'm saying beware of the power that the family has over your heart. Amongst Christians, like I've said, this is the one thing that we're kind of okay with idolizing. But let's be honest about what's actually happening in our homes. When the family is the most important ends to all of the Christmas stuff, we have elevated it to a, from a God-given institution to a practical God to kind of be pursued and appeased. And as though everything ends at that, like make sure we always, no matter what, as long as we're together as a family, that's what matters the most. I can't tell you how many Christians I've heard say that. There's a reason that even people who don't really like Christmas very much are willing to still do it over and over again. Many people who uh, don't like it will still do Christmas for the kids. Because it's the one time a year that we can finally get everyone together under one roof and actually have this simply having a wonderful Christmas time together. It's the one chance we have at sitting around one table and doing this thing that we want so badly. For some of us, the family has become our own little kingdom. What has been the concerns of others and the church and whatever else seem to not be as important as what the family is doing. Be careful, brothers and sisters. That's all I'm going to say. Be very careful not to treasure family over Christ. Some of you know this to be very true. Your family, like every other earthly treasure, will fail you one day. They will not be able to come through. As much as wonderful gift as they are. There are several other warnings that I could give to you this morning. You guys can probably come up with your own. You already know your own hearts in one sense. Not the deep desperation, but you do understand things that you struggle with. But I think 
you see the pattern that we're trying to paint out here, what we're trying to show. Each of these things is not wicked. It's not a, a terrible thing or evil thing. You can be sure, even in my own house, that we will enjoy some great gifts, some Christmas movies, some wonderful traditions, time with family. And we may even post some, some pictures on the internet. I don't know. But, but these things in and of themselves are not evil. That's not the point of today. We could say, okay, no more Christmas stuff. Let's stop doing this. But if we really took that to its logical end, we would stop doing everything. Because constantly, the problem is the same as all year round. The problem is that we're seeing all of these things as an end in and of themselves, instead of what they are meant to be from God, a means to an end. All these things declare the glory of God in and of themselves to show that God is good. Not that they themselves can be enjoyed by themselves outside of God. And when they are, they will always disappoint us. But when we see them in light of the gospel, if that there's a God-given thing that we are to enjoy with thanksgiving, then we can properly recognize that these are good gifts from God. And the reason we won't be disappointed is not that the thing didn't fail us, the thing this might still fail us. The reason we're not disappointed is because we'll never be disappointed in our God. The message today is not stop doing Christmas stuff. The message today is beware of the idolatry of your heart. What is it that your heart treasures? You should think about that. You should ask your spouse or others and think those things through. What is it that my heart treasures so much? What is it? If it's the trappings of Christmas time and the different things that come along with it, times that bring us hope and these lofty expectations of Christmas cheer, be careful, brother or sister. I'd warn you, do not put your hope in these things. Christmas time as a holiday cannot come through on all it promises. But Jesus can. The, the, the reason for the season, as Matt has said, we all know the one who does not disappoint gave his life for you. And next week we'll go even more detail specifically about the coming of Christ and his incarnation. But I want us to recognize, in the, one sense, this time of year is no different than anyone else. Any other time, excuse me. It's actually reminding us of our real treasure and showing us if we put our trust in any of these other things, they will disappoint us. And it will tend towards depression, anxiety, frustration, and loneliness because they can't come through on their promises. Jesus Christ, the King, who gave his own life for his saints, has promised salvation from the wrath of God, eternal life to those who trust him, inheritance that we cannot fathom in great riches in Christ, and joy, Peter says, a joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory. Not just the joy we get from the feeling of the season. This is the hope and the joy that we experience, whether it's Christmas time or not. It's a joy in Christ. In Christ, the family is a wonderful gift of God, and we should enjoy it as such. In Christ, material wealth is a great gift, both for our enjoyment and to bless others. In Christ, our traditions can teach us and bring us help from reminders of our time together and where we should be thinking about. In Christ, we do feel joy and nostalgia on all different types of things that he has given to us as true emotions. So the simple advice, though, for us to walk away with, how do we keep from a disappointing Christmas? Hope in God. Not in Christmas time. Not in all the stuff that surrounds it. Hope in God. Live toward the heavenly kingdom. That which actually can come through on its promises. 
live toward the heavenly kingdom, and with faith, enjoy the many good things that God has given to us, even in this wonderful season as well. Do not be disappointed by putting your trust in those things, but rather use them as points of being thankful to God for who he is, who will never, ever disappoint us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you, Jesus Christ, for giving your life, for taking it so seriously, Lord, that you would come, live perfectly as a human being, fully God and fully man, faithful and merciful high priest. Lord, and you gave your life for us as the lamb, the spotless lamb. I pray that you would help us even as we approach the coming season and things that we're already in the midst of. I pray that you keep our hearts from idolatry. Help our hearts not to love all these other things and try to get our joy from them. But Lord, would you so grip us that we would find our joy in you? And it may not look like, uh, I don't know, what, what the world seems to say Christmas is all about, but God, it's far more lasting and important. And Lord, it is true. It is the true story of the world. that You have come so that you might rescue sinners. We love you and we praise your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen.